Your grace is sufficient for us. May those words reach our hearts. And Lord, in light of your grace being sufficient for us, may we then stand on every promise that we find in your word. And so Lord, as we open the book of Deuteronomy again now, as we see the promises that you made to your people, Israel, may we take on board the promises that apply to us now. And may we stand on them. And your grace will be sufficient when we stand there in faith, knowing that God will act on our behalf. Lord, do your work in us now. Speak to every heart that needs to be spoken to here. And if there are still some who do not know Jesus Christ, may you even now allow them to turn to you and be saved. We ask this in your precious name, Lord. Amen. While well, we are in Deuteronomy, so if you want to turn there in your Bibles. Now, your notes said you had Deuteronomy 29, 30, and 31. While well, I've given you some grace, um, it's only going to be 29 and 30 that I'm going to be looking at today. And then um, next Sunday, Roger McClay is going to be with us, so it's going to be a McClay Sunday. Alex will be playing and Roger will be preaching. And then the following Sunday, Lord willing, I will be finishing up with Deuteronomy. Um, but I want you to just look at a, a spe specific few verses here this morning, and then I'll be referring to the rest of these chapters as we go through. So let's just go and focus on a couple of verses. Um, and the first one is Deuteronomy 29, verse 29. The secret things belong to the Lord our God, but the things that are revealed belong to us and to our children forever, that we may do all the words of this law. So what does that mean? We'll get to it later, but just very shortly. His ways are so far above our ways that we can't understand who God is many times because He's so far greater than us. The secret things belong to the Lord our God. But what does apply to us? The next bit. But the things that are revealed belong to us. See, you don't have to know everything. God knows everything. He has revealed some of that knowledge to us. And what is revealed to us, those things belong to us and to our children forever. And those are the things we must do. What God has revealed to us is what we must put into practice. You see, many people are so worried about everything they can't understand that they're not doing the things they do understand. And what does the Lord call us to do today? Do what you do understand. Leave the rest to me. We'll come back to that. Let's look at the other verses that I want us just to look at, and that's uh, chapter 30, verses 15 to 20. kind of sums up the whole of, book of what God wants them to do with what's been happening in Deuteronomy. Verse 15 of chapter 30. See, I've set before you today life and good, death and evil, 
If you obey the commandments of the Lord your God that I command you today, how do you do that? By loving the Lord your God, by walking in His ways, and by keeping His commandments and His statutes and His rules, then you shall live and multiply, and the Lord your God will bless you in the land that you are entering to take possession of. But if your hearts turn away, and you will not hear, but are drawn away to worship other gods and serve them, I declare to you today that you shall surely perish. You shall not live long in the land that you are going over the Jordan to enter and possess. I call heaven and earth to witness against you today that I have set before you life and death, blessing and curse. Therefore, choose life that you and your offspring may live. Loving the Lord your God, obeying His voice, and holding fast to Him, for He is your length, He is your life and length of days, that you may dwell in the land that the Lord swore to your fathers, to Abraham, to Isaac, and to Jacob, to give them. I love the way technology is going today. Um, most of it. The surgeons have got this special technology now. They wear these augmented reality glasses and they can perform heart surgery now with the help of this animated 3D heart models. And it's quite amazing. I'm going to show you just this little video. Is it already gone? Uh, okay. There you go. Just note, they've got this 3D model of the heart in real time. And you see around the edges, there's marks. It's like your speedometer in the car. It's giving them information they need to know about the vital signs of a patient while they're looking at this model in 3D. And they can rotate things and look at it from different angles by just moving their hands. Wow. And then they do remote surgery. And I'm sure my friend Gerard Bonet will tell us a bit more because I think you saw a little bit of that um, or it's remote surgery in China, right? When you visited there, yeah. Um, and so by remote control, by, they can work through robots in another location. They can actually do operations. Imagine. Oh, that was just a good introduction anyway. Um, the, the word heart is used in these a couple of chapters. Uh, sorry, in Deuteronomy, the, the word heart is used 51 times. So obviously the Lord wants us to pay attention to the heart. And it's not that pumping organ. It's the, the spiritual heart, right? It's used four times in chapter 4, four times in chapter 8. Just look at the numbers now. Four times in chapter 28, four times in 29, and then eight times in chapter 30. There's a reason for that. Because the Lord is building up to, through the Moses, He's building up to the point of the whole exercise. And the point of that exercise is the Lord must change your hearts. Israel, my nation, you are to be my people who follow me, but the Lord must change your hearts. Almighty God, Yahweh Himself, the one who is almighty and has everything in His hands and all life in His hands, the Lord must change your hearts. You can't do it yourself. How does he spell that out to them? He goes back in verses 2, 3, and 4 of chapter 29. He goes and he shows them his faithfulness to them in the past. Why should you trust me to change your hearts? Because 
you can trust me because of my faithfulness to you in the past. In Egypt, I gave you your provisions in Egypt. Yes, you had a hard time in Egypt. Yes, you were slaves in Egypt. But I gave you garlic and leeks and you Israelites love those things. I gave them to you. These are the things they wanted when they were in the desert, right? So they obviously liked them. And the Lord says, I gave you these provisions. When you went through trials, I was there before you. Even when you were slaves in Egypt, I helped you to increase in number. And then you saw those signs and wonders, not just, just before you left Exodus with all those things that came against that country. The plagues. But also the signs and wonders you saw in the desert where I provided for you with water, with manna, with quail. Even the sandals on your feet did not wear out. For 40 years, you try wearing a pair of shoes, except for my wife. She can somehow do that. <laughs> Wear a pair of shoes for 40 years and they're still the same. But, um, but in general... The Lord says, I provided for you for 40 years. Your clothes did not wear out. Your sandals did not wear out. And they were walking through a harsh environment, the desert, with rocks. That's God's provision. You see, it says the Lord, I've been faithful to you. Now trust me. If you think back on your Christian life, and you look back on it, has the Lord been faithful to you as a believer? Yes? You must say yes. Because God is not an unfaithful God. He's a covenant-keeping and a promise-keeping God. And He is your provider. He's promised to be your provider. Jehovah Yireh. And so you need to trust Him. He has provided for you in the past. And so the Lord says, Trust me. I will change your hearts. But the problem was, what? Disobedience. They had disobedience in Egypt. They had disobedience as they exited the land. They had disobedience before the Lord as they walked through the land for those 40 years. And that's why they were going back again. And now they stand on the cusp of entering the new land. And the Lord says to them, you're going to have disobedient hearts again. But I will change your hearts. You see, they had hardened their hearts. And there's an interesting verse here. If you go to read chapter 29, verse 4, look what it says. Chapter 29, verse 4. But to this day, the Lord has not given you a heart to understand or, ears to, or eyes to see or ears to hear. Now, that's interesting. So they'd been disobedient to the Lord, but the Lord had also not given them hearts to understand and eyes to see and ears to hear. What's that called? He had hardened their hearts. Where did we see that before? Pharaoh in Egypt. All those plagues that came against him. And then repeated, repeatedly you can go and look up the references there. Go and look at what, what Pharaoh's reaction was. He hardened his heart. And then the Lord hardened his heart. Why? As part judgment on him for his disobedience. Why did the Lord harden the Israelites' hearts? Because they were disbelieving in him. They weren't believing what he had said to them. They saw these miracles in front of them and still they wouldn't believe. And God was busy part judging them. 
He was teaching them a lesson for what would come later. How do we know that God hardened their hearts? It was prophesied way back. Go and look at Isaiah chapter 6, verse 8 to 10. Isaiah chapter 6, verse 8 to 10. This is what it says. Isaiah the prophet is speaking back on what would happen to the Israelites. And I heard the voice of the Lord saying, Whom shall I send and whom will go for us? Then I said, Here am I, send me. And he said, Go and say to this people, Keep on hearing, but do not understand. Keep on seeing, but do not perceive. Make the heart of this people dull and their ears heavy and blind their eyes, lest they see with their eyes and hear with their ears and understand with their hearts and turn and be healed. Then I said, How long, O Lord? And he said, until cities lie waste without inhabitant, and houses without people, and the land is a desolate waste, and the Lord removes people far away, and the forsaken places are many in the midst of the land. And though a tenth remain in it, it will be burned again, like a terebinth or an oak, whose stump remains when it is felled. The holy seed is its stump. You see, the people would not listen. Why? Because part of the judgment was God had hardened their hearts. Is a warning there. If we carry on today and we carry on and we know that we are in sin, but we continue in sin, beware that God does not harden your heart as part of His teaching of you and His discipline on you. Their hearts weren't just hardened, they were also deceived. If you look at chapter 29, back in the book of Deuteronomy again, chapter 29, verse 18 to 19, look at what it says. And this is for me the most chilling one. Look at what it says. Beware lest there be among you a man or a woman or clan or tribe whose heart is turning away today. Okay, so they know the truth, but today it is turning away from the Lord, from the Lord our God, to do what? To go and serve the gods of those nations. Beware. Now look at this. Lest there be among you a root bearing poisonous and bitter fruit. One who, when he hears the words of the sworn covenant, blesses himself in his heart, saying, I shall be safe, though I walk in the stubbornness of my heart. Those are chilling words. You see, their hearts had been deceived. They saw the nations around them. They saw the gods of the nations around them. And they thought, maybe these gods can help us too. Maybe we can get added benefit for ourselves. Because God doesn't seem to always be listening to us. And they turned their, way, their hearts away from, Lord, from the Lord. They'd done that in the past. When they saw the drought, and they didn't have water. They turned their hearts away from the Lord. Their hearts had been deceived. When they saw the nations that had come against them, and the fancy and many gods that the nations had, and their hearts had been turned away from God Himself. Their hearts had been turned away from what they knew to be right. They'd received poisoned hearts, which blessed self. What's one of the pop psychology's medicines today? 
Love yourself first. And then everything will come right. I know I'm simplifying now. But if you don't love yourself, how can you love others? Have you heard that? Beware of deceived hearts. Don't love yourself first. Love the Lord first. And He will give you a love for Himself. And you don't have to worry about loving yourself then. Love the Lord. Don't make an idol of yourself. Love the Lord your God. You see, what happens when we, our hearts are deceived in this way is that we self-justify into a false sense of safety. They say, I shall be safe even though I walk in the stubbornness of my heart. You see, there's a recognition that they're doing wrong, but somehow they say, yes, I know I'm doing wrong, but I'll be okay. I stick my hand in the fire, I know the flames are going to burn me, and I say to myself, I'll be okay. It's the same principle. Tragically, there are so many believers around now who say, I don't have to do things God's way. I don't have to go to church. I don't have to sit under God's word. I don't have to be a part of a body of Christ. I can exist on my own. I'll be okay. I know I'm doing wrong, but I'll be okay. That's self-deception. It's a deceived heart. The sin is in my life. I know it's wrong. But I'll be alright. And it might be pornography. It might be just gathering more stuff. It might be pleasing yourself in various ways. Looking for the next bit of excitement. The next biggest holiday. The next biggest job. The more important thing. The most important job I can get. Chasing those things. And you tell yourself, I'll be okay. The Lord says, no, your heart is deceived. You are self-deceived. There's a danger here. The Lord needs to change that heart. Don't stand in the stubbornness of that sin and say, you'll be alright. You'll have that sin right to the gates of eternity. And you'll face the Lord. Listen to me, please. Listen to God's word. We need to have repentant hearts. The Lord wants to change our hearts so that we have repentant hearts. Chapter 30, verse 2 says this. Return to the Lord your God, you and your children, and obey his voice in all that I command you today, with all your heart and with all your soul. Then the Lord will restore your fortunes and have compassion on you. You see, we have to have repentant hearts. Return to the Lord means 180 degrees. It doesn't mean 360. You see, what often happens is, I'm convicted of sin, I know I'm wrong, I repent of it just for a little while, and then I go back to where I was. 360. Repentant heart means I'm sorry for what I've done. I'm genuinely remorseful before the Lord, and I say, Lord, change my heart. Take it away from me. I turn my back on these things. 180 degrees. And I walk away. Look to the Lord again. We've got a lot of swiveling Christians around too. 360 degrees. We keep doing the 360 dance. I know my own life. 
I'm not pointing fingers at anyone here. And we say, tell ourselves, I'll be all right. Grace is sufficient. The Lord says, have repentant hearts. Who before? Before the Lord your God, he says in that verse, verse 2. Remind ourselves again, who is this Lord? Yahweh, the Almighty One, the Lord, your God, the one who has said, I will be your God. You did not choose me, I chose you, and then I gave you the faith to choose me. I will be your God. This is the one we are to return our hearts to. The one who will forgive us. The one who will not just forgive us, but he will forgive our children. Now, does that mean any children have automatic forgiveness before the Lord? No. It's the blessing of the Lord in us when we take the leadership in our families and we say, Lord, I'm sorry for what I've done, what I've done for this family of mine. Here are my children. Kids, listen to what's happened. And you need to come with your sins before the Lord. You need to have a relationship with Jesus Christ. Ask for forgiveness from Jesus Christ. You children, we bring our children in before the Lord. We are to have repentant hearts. We are to obey His voice in all that He commands us. With all our hearts, all our souls. What's the word is being repeated there often? The word all. The word all leaves no room for any exceptions. You see, we need to get hard with ourselves. John Piper had a great little clip. You can go and look it up. He calls it, Make War on Sin. We allow sin to exist in us. We allow it to become our buddy. We allow it to get a grip on our lives. And then we think we're all right. We're actually in deadly peril. He says, make war on sin. Every single little bit of it, make war on it. Bring it before the Lord. Ask Him to take it away from you because it's going to infect you like a cancer. Make war on it before it takes over your life. Believers, I'm speaking to a majority of believers here. Make war on sin. Ask the Lord to give you a repentant heart again. Don't accommodate sin in your life. I speak about my own, but I'm pretty sure I'm just like one of you. Don't make friends with sin. Have a repentant heart before the Lord. You see, the Lord promises them, I'll give you circumcised hearts. Chapter 30, verse 6. This is what he says. And the Lord your God will circumcise your heart and the heart of your offspring so that you will love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul that you may live. What does he mean here? When the Lord gives us circumcised hearts, you all know what the circumcision process was, right? I don't have to go there. But when the Lord circumcises our hearts... He gives us a whole new heart which comes under his covenant promise. I will look after you and protect you. I will be your God forever. I will not allow you to fall away from me. I am almighty God. I will hold you in my hands. He circumcises our hearts. We are under a covenant with God. Which stands until Jesus Christ comes again. And then that covenant stands into eternity. Because he won't let us go there either. We'll be perfect before him. 
And that covenant stands with for us and our children, says the text. What does he mean? Is that a blanket promise again? Your children will come in under that covenant of the Lord? No. It's all those who will come and ask for repentant hearts, as we saw in verse 2. And you need to take the leadership in that, in your families. Stand strong in your families. Let them see that you are a Christian who looks to the Lord, who stands under the covenant promises of the Lord. Teach them about those promises. There are too many of our young teenagers and our children growing up in Christian homes. And as leaders, we think the parents are doing the right thing. We try in Sunday schools. There's only so much time. The majority of the work has to happen at home. Teach your children about the promises of God. Take active leadership with your children before the Lord. Let them see you actually being their high priest. You know what I'm saying in the good sense of it. Lead them in worship in your home. When my kids were growing up, I should have done more of that. And I asked the Lord's forgiveness. I should have been much more active. But lead your children in worship before the Lord. When they see you as mom and dad there, they need to see parents who are worshiping the Lord. And then the children will come behind you. Little eyes and ears are watching and hearing. Have circumcised hearts before the Lord. And who does that? The Lord has to do that to you. You can't do it yourself. Ask the Lord to change your heart. You see, He changes your heart so that you will love the Lord with all your heart, with all your soul, and with all your might and strength. And He says, if you do that, you will live. Romans chapter 2 verse 29 speaks about this. It's beautiful to see this. Romans chapter 2 verse 29. Now, in the context of Paul's talk over here, he's speaking about who is really a Jew and who isn't a Jew. Listen to what he says. For no one is a Jew who is merely one outwardly, nor is circumcision outward and physical. Now he was speaking to Jews here, right? He was saying, just because you were born a Jew, with a Jewish passport, I guess, just, beca just because you see yourself as part of being under Jerusalem, doesn't mean that you're a Jew in Christ. Look at what he says. But a Jew, verse 29, but a Jew is one in, inwardly, and circumcision is a matter of the heart by the spirit, not by the letter of the law, that is. You see, God does a work on the heart. He makes us Jews in our hearts, ones who are followers of Jesus Christ, ones who are part of the kingdom of God. Your heart has to be changed for how does that apply? Just because your parents are Christians doesn't mean that you're a Christian. When I grew up in South Africa under the banner of the Dutch Reformed Church, even though I was in a Baptist church, it was taught that if your parents are believers, you come under the covenant promised to them. And if that hadn't been taught properly, then those kids would think that they too were believers. 
If it was taught properly, then they would realize that they too had to come into that covenant by giving their hearts to the Lord at some stage in their lives. You don't automatically become a Christian. God has no grandparents. Oh, sorry, God has no grandchildren. Sorry, my brain derailed there. God has no grandchildren. You have to commit your life to Jesus Christ yourself. As teenagers, your children in your homes, they must all come to a point of realization of who Jesus Christ is. And that is where you as parents, that is where we have to teach them, lead them in worship, show them the way, by our personal examples, by actively teaching them. I think the point's made. You see, we have to teach them, the Lord must change your hearts, my children. And the Lord has to change our hearts daily as we keep being confronted by sin. Change our hearts, Lord. He has to do it. And that moment He brings them into new life, that's a mystery to us. God knows what happens there. That's the mystery of regeneration. The big word. To be made new. But we know that what he has revealed to us is that we need to trust Jesus Christ and we need to then live lives which are obedient to him and he gives us that new life in Christ. What we know, we apply. Second point is, so you must change, the Lord must change your heart, but you must choose to trust him. You see, I'm back to my heart surgery. So I need open heart surgery and I decide... I'm going to Google this and I'm going to read up everything I can about heart surgery and then I'm going to prepare everything because I've got a heart, there is a heart surgeon around but I don't really trust him in. So I want him to be there but I'm going to be on that table and they're going to set up mirrors and I'm going to perform that heart surgery because I don't trust that surgeon. And so you prepare the room and you get onto that table. And I know I'm sounding ridiculous, but just stay with me. You get onto that table. They prep everything. They put the gloves on your hands. They can't give you anesthetic. They have to give you a local. That's not going to work. Anyway, it's all right. My, it's coming apart now. Um, and there you start this open heart surgery. But at some stage, you're going to have to do something drastic there. Otherwise, the surgery is not going to work. And so the, the surgeon says to you and the nursing staff that are there assisting say, but listen, it can't work. You've got to let the surgeon do this because at this moment, you're going to have to die to live. You can't do that yourself. Allow the surgeon to do this. Trust him. We must choose to trust Jesus Christ. You can't do that heart surgery yourself. There are too many of us believers who think I can change my own heart. I'll just be a better and better and better Christian. And I'm so getting better and better and better at a Christian that I'm getting further and further and further away from the Lord because it's called legalism. If you don't trust the Lord to bring the change in your heart and to take that sin from you and to make you holy, if you don't trust Him, you're still on your own strength. And you can't do it impossible let's look at chapter 29 verse 29 the secret things belong to the lord our god but the things that are revealed belong to us and to our children forever 
that we may do all the words of his law. You see, the words of faith were near to God's people. They were available to God's people. They weren't hard to understand for God's people. They were repeated often in their history, over and over again. Moses would repeat God's commands to them. But did they do them? No. Did they really believe God? No. Because they didn't do them. It's the same with you and I. He says you need to believe that you can trust me. Believe the words that I've given you in my word to you. Believe my promises to you. Trust me. And then choose to follow me. Choose to follow me to the nth degree. Choose life. Look at what he says in verses 15 and especially verses 19 and 20. I want to zero in on these verses as we finish off. I call heaven and earth to witness against you. Now in the legal terms... You had to have witnesses to witness when a oath was made, when a covenant was made. While the Lord calls heaven and earth to witness against Israel. Now that's serious. What, is, what are they called to witness against them? That I have set before you life and death. With life comes blessing, with death comes curse. We looked at that a few weeks ago. Blessing and curse. And the Lord says, I've put these things clearly before you. It's not hard to understand. I've revealed them to you. You need to believe these things now. Weighing up those things that have been revealed to you. He says, choose life. God's not pleading. He's stating a fact. He's not on his knees pleading with people. Please come to me. I need you to be saved. He's stating a fact. He says, there are the options. Blessing, curses. Choose life that you may live. That you and your offspring may live again. We need to be putting that to our children. My children, this is what God says. Choose life. Ask Jesus to come into your hearts. Choose life. Why? Loving the Lord your God, obeying His voice, holding fast to Him. Why? For He is your life. And He is your length of days. He is your life. He is your length of days. I'm going to mention funerals. Because that's been my life this last week. There are various sizes of Coffins in a funeral. None of us know when the Lord calls us to Himself. None of us knows. We could be sitting here normally today in the service and not be here tonight. Right? That's the reality of life. If you do not yet trust the Lord Jesus Christ, if you have not yet chosen Him to follow Him, to have Him as your Savior, if you have not yet asked His blessing to come down on you, then my friend, I fear for you. I would not be able to risk that. And I'm not trying to be, scare you into the kingdom, 
This is the reality I put before you this morning. The Lord says, I've given you life and death. There are the options before you. It's very clear. Now choose life. Would you really go from this place and tell your heart, I don't have to choose him. I'll be right. You're back in that deception. Choose life that you might live. Because the Lord has your length of days in His hands. They're not in your hands. They're in His hands. And it's an actual choice. It's not just a theological concept I'm talking about here. Yeah, you Christians talk about this stuff all the time. It doesn't apply to me. It's an actual choice for every single person that breathes on this earth. The Lord says, there is life and death, blessings and curse. Choose life. The moment we stand at the portals of death, like my good friend up at Righty, he did this week. He was still working on his farm. Engine running. He got out of the vehicle to clear some debris in front of the vehicle. He died on that spot. Windscreen wipers still going. Engine running. That's how his sons discovered him. He was there. His gumboots were there, but he was no longer there. None of us know. But I know he had chosen life. Why? Because at his funeral service, many people came. After I'd given a gospel message there, many people came and said, this man told us the gospel of Jesus Christ, and I'm saved. Praise the Lord for him. Gavin Rowe. Many Maori folk came along there that he had just worked alongside in the shearing sheds. Praise the Lord for this man, bro. He told me about Jesus. And now I'm saved. There was a guy giving a haka in honor, a whole bunch of them Maori, just giving a haka for this man to honor him and his stand for Jesus Christ. He chose life. I was very moved. He chose life. So that others who came after him could choose life. His offspring, his colleagues, his friends. But it's a choice we all face. Every single one. You see, the moment we step out of this life into the next, we step into that train station that you have chosen. The train goes there. It's either into eternal life or eternal life in hell. Eternal life with the Lord, or eternal life without God. Choose life, says the Lord. Don't be self-deceived and say, I'll be alright. I'm the exception. Because you're not. You will stand before the Lord. Let's pray. Lord, thank you for your word. And Lord, we hear the call from your word that you have to change the human heart. We can't change it by human philosophies. We can't change it by therapies. We can't change it in any way except through Almighty God intervening. Change my heart, O oh Lord. Make it more like thine. 
Lord, change our hearts, we pray. Self, save us from self-deception. Save us from thinking we'll be okay. Tomorrow's another day. I'll cover those things then. Save us from ourselves. And Lord, thank you that we know that we can trust you to change our hearts because you've been faithful in the past. You will make us holy to be like your son, Jesus Christ. Help us to trust you in that process. And Lord, I pray for any here that still do not know you. May they trust you, almighty God, to take them from being in a state of death before you to giving them new life. May they trust you in that, I pray. And come and bow the knee to Jesus Christ and be saved. And Lord, we plead, if we've got families in our homes, may we as parents take that lead. May we live out the truth that Jesus saves. May we live it out and teach it to our children so that they too can come and find life. Help us in this task, we pray. Amen.